Job. My name is Paul and I am your host as always. Thanks for listening and tuning in. And today I am super psyched to introduce uh, Mr. Frankie Stubbs all the way from uh, the UK. You may know him from Leatherface, but you also may know him from his more recent uh, solo stuff. Frankie, th thank you so much for coming on the show. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. Uh, uh, right on. I'm say, hostess there, though. Say, say again, sorry. You said hostess. Host. I am the hostess. <laughs> Does that mean the same thing? The United States? We're, we're gonna we're gonna jump right into this. I read yeah. an interview with you last year where uh, the interview asked you about Sunderland in the UK, which England, which, which I guess is where you're from. Um, but you said it used to be like Pittsburgh. So as it happens yeah. for anybody that listens, I'm in Pittsburgh right now. Uh, what, what do you mean by that? It used to be like it, Pittsburgh. It was very, very industrial, at, uh, like around, around these parts. You know, there was a lot of uh, shipbuilding and like there was um, steelworks. Okay. Which uh, uh, just it was very, very grim industrial town. Okay. But, uh, you know that sort of became my my uh, football team. Okay. Know. I think uh, I can't remember when I, I must have been like nineteen ninety nine or when I first went to Pittsburgh and I, I went to the uh, stadium store and. Bought the shirt, you know, right, and right, got right on. A beanie and a cup. <laughs> I know nothing about we call it American football. You know, nothing about it. But, but, uh, but would you call yourself a Pittsburgh Steelers fan just because you have course. some of this stuff? No, we we don't. I mean, you can't really watch. You can if you subscribe to like Sky TV. Right. You can watch. You can watch the games, but you know. You, they play the highlights on one of the terrestrial channels. Right, right. I mean, I did watch it a lot a long time ago. I think Stewart was the quarterback. Okay, Cornell uh, Stewart. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, when it, when, when I, so the, not the shirt I have was Stewart Christmas. Okay, that's that's great. Yeah. So when when you when you talk about uh, the area Pittsburgh or Sunderland, when you when you talk about them as sort of grim. Uh, industrial areas, is that a positive or a negative for you? Only It's only a negative when the place starts to shut down. When the place is like, I mean, someone's main thing was coal and uh, shipyards, you know. Yeah. And all around Sunderland, there are the places that produce steel to make, that used to make steel to make right. ships. Right. They were closed down in the uh, in the late 80s, I think, the shipyards. And that was probably grim then. And they closed all the coal mines and the shipyards. And it was just like nothing, really. I mean, there was one taxi per person. Everyone bought taxi licenses. And, you know, there was thousands and thousands of people, like, made unemployed. Right. Right. You know, Thatcherism. I still hear Thatcher, by the way, you know. And but, uh, yeah, just, I mean, I don't know if Pittsburgh still makes steel, is it? There, there are a few places in Pittsburgh that still make steel, but it's sort of turning itself into a tech, a tech hub. So now a lot of uh, tech companies are moving into Pittsburgh. Yeah, well, some of them, it's, uh, 
Tierney and sort of a Nissan car factory plant now. Okay. With everything with everything that goes around a company that makes cars, you know, yeah. like the and did, did you did you did you stay in Sunderland? Did you move yeah, anywhere yeah. ever? Did you ever think about moving somewhere else? Yeah, of course, of course. I uh, had several places that I would that I would have should have moved. <laughs> I thought of moving to Virginia. And I thought of moving you know, to Richmond. I thought of moving to Atlanta, Georgia, in the states. I thought of moving to Toronto. Yeah. I thought of moving to Hamburg in Germany, Barcelona in Spain, Oslo in Norway. I thought of moving to Melbourne in Australia. <laughs> there was these towns that I, I just saw, you know, Tokyo, I could have moved there, would have been difficult. Well, language, part, but, you know, yeah, I, I moved to Bristol in England. So it was a town, Sheffield. Towns where you go and you just think, I couldn't, I couldn't live here. You yeah. Know, this is, yeah. You just feel an affinity with with place Pittsburgh, or you know, and Portland, Oregon. Right, right. Look, I mean, don't know why I, I never did move. I just still live in this town. Well, just speaking on behalf of the residents of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, we would love to we would love to have you as part of part of uh, our community and as part of our music scene. So I'll just put that out there. So if if you yeah. want to move to Pittsburgh. Um, I'm down to help you out. That could still, you know, I mean, I don't think it'll happen now, but sort of on 20, 30 years ago, really. Right. 20 years. Right. Right. <laughs> let's, let's jump into, um, I, I want to ask a question about, that, that kind of goes along with this. So you released a record in 2020 called Blood Orange Moon, and there's a song on there called I Like Being a European. Yeah. So what does that mean? Does that mean you actually like being a European? Is it tongue-in-cheek? It actually says that I voted remain, to remain in the European Union. Right. I am absolutely devastated that we are not still part of the European Union. Right. right. And I think... I don't know if you know what's going on here now. I, I do about uh, Brexit and all of that yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah. Fuel shortages. Yeah. Food shortages. Yep. It's all coming. The, everyone was warned that there will be, you know, I mean, you, well, you've got gas shortages. Right. There's going to be food shortages. Christmas could be an absolute like, you know, wipe up, like totally wiped out. Uh, because we've got a shortage of, of uh, truck drivers. Because all, all the Europeans, we had a lot of European truck drivers, they've all gone back to Europe. Right. Because it's getting very sort of, uh, you know, quite racist then. People thought because we've left the European Union, it was all right, we were racist. And about, hundred, you know, we need 100,000 truck drivers. And the people were warned about this. And all the people who voted Labour were just, ah, oh, scaremongering, it's just bullshit. You know, and now right. it's going to happen. Good luck, right? Right. The gas stations got no gas. Right. So, yeah. When I think back on on your career, on on songs that you've written, um, you know, you've never been shy about putting out in song how you how you feel about these things. Is is living and and growing up in in the area of the UK that that you did and everything that you've experienced. Does this continue to contribute to to your approach to your art? 
I think you actually get more vocal the older you get. You start caring less about what people, you know, think about what you think. Right. Like when you that, I think it matters more what other people think. But as you get a little bit older, you just think, ah, fuck it. And so, yeah, I mean, it's actually easier the older you get. Right. To, uh, right. Right. Uh, I interviewed Dave, Dave Hawk. When you're younger, right? when you're younger you, you like writing words. Now, something I noticed about early days of writing words was some people could take them completely the other way. Yeah. We had extreme right-wing people turning up to shows in, uh, in Europe. Right. Like, hang on a minute. <laughs> what are they not getting? I, they're really I, missing the point. Yeah, yeah. Missing it completely. Yeah. So then I would start to write things where I would try and make it less less ambiguous. Right. So like, like that, I'm gonna punch you in the face. Right. <laughs> try, and, try and explain something. You know, because that still baffles me. Like how we would have. I think. I, it might have been the voice, you know, because someone said we sounded like we sounded like a screwdriver. I was like, fuck me, no. You know, like, it can't be. Right. It's like, and apparently they did it, but we did it in the ghetto by Elvis, you know. Right. And apparently we did a version of it. <laughs> so it might not have even been the words I was writing. Think about that. It just could have just been the fact that. The delivery, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we did a song but that they did a cover. And the world that dirty walls on them. Oh, well. Right. The pulled out, out guns. Have you seen me going? I was like, I don't want to see you go away. Right. You see, Highland, well, we would just stop. You know, we would just stop and look at them going, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> you know, to go like this. Like, hands in the air, you know. Yeah. Like, yeah. But we would just stop, like, shocked. Like, yeah. Stop. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Just gotta like move them away, sort of thing, you know. Right. Right. I don't think that words can be taken. It's dangerous. When when they can be taken either way. When you were mentioning that, you know, what's changed from when you're younger, when you're older, I interviewed uh, Dave Hawes, who comes from that similar music scene as as Chuck Reagan from Hot Water Music and and those guys. Um, I interviewed him and he said the things that were important when he was 20 about playing music just are no longer important now. And it's sort of what you just said. It's like that you, you start to give less a shit about what the external pressures are and care more about what, what it is, what it is you're doing. And that just comes with maturity, right? More than anything else. What happens is you sort of, you sign your first record label and then your life, you know, like, They've got everything mapped out for like six months to a year ahead. And it's like, you get home and then you're like told, right, now you're going to go there. Now you're going to do this. You've got all these interviews lined up. I would sit in a room in Germany and do interviews for five days. Right. You know, and I'm, I'm just like, this, I don't want to do this. Right. Right. Like, you know, um, I want to look at it. Like, what it is, you're just given control. Right. You willingly give it, but then realize you, you don't you don't like it. You know, and uh, you've got press agents, you've got this, you've got that. 
your people are impressing you because all their job is to keep your name in a music playlist. I didn't even know we had one at first, but, you know. But I remember mentioning, you know, my ambition is to be a question in the crossword in the back of the New Music Express, which will be the newspaper, like a music prepared, music prepared. Yeah. <laughs> then the next week it turns up, like, like and we are in, right? You know, the record company told the press agent, get them in the crossword, you know? And it's just, oh, no, you know, like, uh, you, you take, you want to, you take back control a little bit. Right, you know? right. Right. A lot of people love it, you know, and go along with it, but I didn't, uh, I think if you want a life, right. work-life balance, if you like. Right, so that's the important thing, well, like with anything, is that life balance. Exactly. Yeah. This is when we want time off. Yeah. Because you're expected to write records while you're still away on tour and you can't do it. Right. You need to be uh, well, sitting in your living room or in a practice room or wherever and you make songs. When I think back on Leatherface's discography, there's a lot of records there. You guys put out a lot of material over yeah. some relatively short periods of time. Do you, do you feel like that was really what you wanted to do or did you feel pressured to, to put out all of that material? No, no, we were not uh, pressured in the early days. Well, we weren't, we weren't pressured. It started to get that way because we, had, we, we were all sort of, at the beginning, we were all unemployed. Okay. Um, like we didn't have sort of day jobs. We did things, but we weren't like nine to five. You right. Know? right. Um, I, had, I had a very small recording studio, like a little track studio. When bands weren't booked in there, we were in there. Okay. And, we would work and work and work. I mean, we'd practice 10 or 6 every day, you know, like, and uh, and we could all do that. We could all give that amount of time to do with music. As time goes by, people have kids and, right. you know, life takes over. Right. Um, and people have less and less time to do that. But early doors, early days, we worked and worked and worked. I mean, songs, made, I mean, Dickie, we could just churn tunes out, like, because it was never words, it was just tunes, 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 tunes. Right. And then we'd have a stack of tunes, and I would start writing, writing words for them. And even that, I wasn't supposed to do. At the beginning of the phase, it was going to be everybody writes words, whoever writes the words sing. Lazy bastards, couldn't be bothered to write words. We went in <laughs> the first demo and uh, I ended up writing the words for, for all like four songs or something in one the night before, you know, and a couple of nights right. before. But it's like that's how I became a singer and, and like you know, word writer. So it's no one else bothered <laughs> to write any. Well, uh, yeah, the first demo was like. Uh, Discipline, Colorado, Joe, Cabbage Case, all the stuff, Cherry No songs, you know. Um, but, uh, so, I mean, I became a, a singer by Lazy Bastards. So, <laughs> so they took one song each, really, you know, four yeah. songs. You write the words for that one, I write the right, right. Yeah, split it up, yeah. We're probably in the pool, and I'm like, 
banging my head against the wall and the right work. That's something I did much. In, in those early days, were you chasing success, whatever that might have meant to you guys as a, as a young band? When as I started, I was, I was um, 26. Okay. I'd actually, well, I'd been in bands years before, you know, quite good. Age 24, I retired from being in a band, right? I bought a four track and a little drum machine. I borrowed some money off my father. Bought a, a Yamaha four track Yamaha drum machine. I used to just sit down making tunes that were never going to get out of the house, really. Right, right. You know, sat there and uh, then one day, Dicky Hound and uh, Stu Raymond basically came around and went, We need to do a band. I was 26 years old when they started. Uh, so I think when you get to that age, you're sort of thinking, you know, most most rock stars, most decent rock stars die by the age of 20. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> they don't start, you know, when they're 26. So no, it wasn't. Right. You, don't, you know, by the time you're 26, you don't think anything's going to happen. You know, it's just, uh, and and the, the, the way we would sign up was Snuff. The band Snuff were giving Lawrence Bell a lift across London. And uh, they had Cherry Nolan, which was like a record we did in three days and it cost about 300 quid to record mm-hmm. and thousand copies. But he was in a, in Snuff's van driving across London, getting a, you know, just getting a lift or somewhere. And they had that record on. And that was it. He decided we're going to sign a rough neck recording company. We were on tour at the time and he's just falling every day, falling every day. Wow. Like, you know, Shane is just full of messages when we get back. And uh, I mean, even that, you know what I mean? That's like the look of someone, you know, right. the look of someone being in someone. Right. Someone lived across London. It's just a total fluke. Right. You know, it's not, there was, no, there was no skill involved. Right. It just happened. Yeah. 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 And, just, and I think that's what happens with most fans, you know, it's just. Someone hears something and is go right. We're gonna we'll have them. Right. Yeah. How do you explain uh, the popularity of Leatherface in Germany, for example? So I mentioned that I lived in Germany in the in the two thousands, mm-hmm. and Leatherface was really popular. I know that you guys came through. Um, uh, with some relative frequency, and I know that um, you still do solo shows in Germany. You know, I watched some video- recent videos, 2018, of you doing solo shows. So, so what is it about Germany that appeals to that that your music is appealing to? I have no idea. I, I think <laughs> I honestly have no idea. I, I think Germany is such a, a fantastic country. You know, like. I love Germany, you know. Um, they like they they're open to things, you know. They're, louder, faster, schneller, schneller, louder, schneller. That was just louder, faster, louder, Zubabe, You know, like it's absolutely. They're crazy for it, you know. Yeah. And, and now, like I started, I did. Oh, I played Hamburg. It was the Sounds of Subterranean's birthday, you know. Uh, the record label over there. And and I did a 10-inch acoustic thing on that label. So Gregor, the guy who runs it, invited me over to play the 20th birthday 
okay. of that label. Yeah. And I was like, Germany, you know, it's not a place for acoustic guitar. You know, louder, uh, you know. <laughs> it's not a place for it. <laughs> I don't think they're keen on acoustic guitar music, you know. Right. And it was amazing. It was absolutely incredible. And I hadn't played for probably five years. And there was people there from Russia, from Norway, from Ireland, all, and obviously a, a load of Germans, all in this right. like, place, singing on all these songs. But I'm just playing on the guitar. And I just thought, well, of course, the guitar can work in Germany. It can work anywhere. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I thought it would, you know. And that was it. I decided I'm going to do more of this. So pretty much, you know, I wasn't going to do. I wasn't going to do it. But just because of that one, that one gig, I didn't realise there would be an audience for it. Right. Right. You know, and and there is. And there is in Germany, so I went back and did it a week there, and it was horrendous. It was like forty-five degrees. To you, that's like over. It's in the hundreds. It's very hot. Know. Yes, yes, very, very, very hot. hot. And uh, we were in this little. Me and my wife traveling around in this little like Citroen C1, which is the smallest car <laughs> ever, right? with no air conditioning, right? I'm driving this thing in, in like boxer shorts, you know, like it's just like there's just bottle drinking bottles of water and it's just, the car's just full of plastic and plastic bottles of water. <laughs> the heat was just unbelievable. And uh and, <laughs> when I played in there, uh, it was Carl's room, which is right in the middle of Germany. Yeah. And uh and it's the hottest part of Germany as well. And it was like, we are 45 plus. And this is on the night time, you know, this is when you play. And there was this, even like, I'm sat here with two fans singing, singing away, you know, like, I never drank so much water in my life. In that, I think I drank more water in that week than I ever did in my entire life. You guys, about maybe early 20s, very early 20s, you just collapsed on the ground, you know, like the heat took right. out. Young, fit, skateboard-looking. Yeah. <laughs> I got one of the fans and I pointed at him and I ran backstage and brought a lot of water out. And uh, that, but then I, when I started playing, I realised, I mean, this is light, you know, like, and I've given right. away, given away my life to, to this guy, even the fan. You know, like, I felt like walking over driving it back. I was like, no, I'll, I'll get through this, I'll get through this. <laughs> Fifty-year-old singing songs, outlives twenty-two-year-old Very, very, very cool. Um, I want to ask um, how you're viewing. Do you view the influence that you've had on other bands? So famously, Hot Water Music, Chuck Reagan name drops you often as an influence, but he's he's certainly not the only one. You know, when I talk to various people in the punk rock community in the United States, uh, Leatherface is often cited as an influence. Do you view that lasting influence that you still have as some sort of marker of success for what you've attempted to achieve in your career? It's very, it's very flattering. I, I am. Makes me feel quite awkward. 
Okay. They're really good bands. These bands have missed us, you know. Yeah. There are quite a few. No, and people say, "Oh, what music? What music? Some nothing like." You know. Um, right. But at the end, I do. I, I've got to like it. It's better than the thinking of shit. Isn't it? <laughs> Shit, that would be much worse. That would that. be much worse. I agree. Much worse. It's, it's going to call me bad. <laughs> if someone says, "We are good," you know. Yeah. So it, it's it hard hard for you to hard for you to measure or think about. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. Uh, just a couple of more questions here before I let you go. Um, and one is, how are you reconciling what you've done up to this point in your career and now how you're approaching your solo stuff, primarily with acoustic guitar? How are you, how are you fitting that into your life? You know, how are you enjoying your life now as opposed to when you were a younger man with different values and, and different objectives? Um, uh, I don't know. Is the is the honest answer? Um, I still care about the music. Music is very important, you know. That this lockdown thing is. I didn't. I played and played and played. I was supposed to play. For a week long tour at Easter, and then it was supposed to be some in the summer, and then some, and they all got cancelled. So I just stopped playing guitar. Right. So it sort of, you know, what's the point then? Then I did the sort of like the Blood Orange Mound thing, thinking that we would, like, you know, that I would be on tour again at Easter, you know. And it just keeps going on and on. It's, it's sort of like, but now, I mean, I see, see on um, on the internet, all these bands playing gigs, all these bands in the recording studios, all these bands, and it's like, oh, hang on, things are starting to get right. back to normal, you know. Yeah. Time for me to learn. I'm not one of these who plays the guitar to get really good on the guitar. I play guitar and make a song. Right. I don't care. Yeah. I'm four chords and a little, you know, a little melody. That's all I play the guitar for. So I'm inspired because I haven't played it for a while, yeah. but I am inspired to pick it back up by all on, on, on the. Um, I avoid most of social media, but I am on Instagram. And there's just lots and lots of pictures of people in studios, people starting to play again. And that is inspiring. Yeah. That inspires me to actually pick the thing up because I know there's some light at the end of this tunnel here. Right. You know? Right. And, uh, and it, you know, I find that more inspiring than when I first heard the sex business. You know, like just. God, I can't even remember the last band I saw. All right. I'm like two years ago or something. It's like, that's the longest I must have ever gone. Well, 
without either playing a show or just going to a show. Go, go to see someone. Yeah. Yeah. No, just I enjoy just looking at photographs of bands right. on Instagram, like bands I don't even know. You know, like and there's pictures of people in the studio, you know, a recording studio, of people. Right. You know, because they haven't been able to do that for for so long. But it's absolutely fantastic. But but the no. way the, the I just want to mention the way that this all works is so so you get inspired by just going on Instagram and, and seeing these bands that you don't even know starting to do stuff and yeah. having you get inspired is what's inspiring to other people like myself or other people who are fans of of your music. So it all continues to to grow in that way where, you know, the hope there is that we're inspiring each other and and things yeah. continue to move. Right. And I think people took things so much for granted. Yeah. But now that it's starting starting to get back to normal a little. Like it's like bang, you know, right. party time. You know? Like <laughs> like I'll go and see anyone. But I missed one the other night and but my one of my local bars that I didn't even know what was on. It's the first show they've had in there for this part of two years, you know. Right, right. It was on Wednesday night, and I was seeing photographs, and I know the drummer out of this band from, I think, from Wales. Yep. He played in a band called Four Letter Word that I recorded, and I, and I would have looked, it was like the same, you know. Right, right. But uh, then he's called. Well, yeah, it's. it's Seeing and, and uh, you can see in the photographs the enthusiasm that people have right, got for sure. Yeah. You know, like, even the audience, the bands, yeah. people. Yeah, yeah. Let's go. Cool. A hundred percent true. So I'd like to I'd like to leave leave this leave this uh, episode by saying. You know, whenever you want to come to Pittsburgh, not even necessarily to move. Mm-hmm. If I can get you over here to do some shows or get you over to the East Coast, get you to Virginia, then I'll I'll do what it takes to do that. It would be great to see you over here. When was the last time you toured in the States? Oh, God. Uh, maybe 2010, maybe. Okay. Was it? So that, that sounds about yeah, right. So I, I did see something about 2009, um, you coming over. I said, I remember doing a Jack Rabbit session. Yes, yes, exactly. Um, that was 2009, yeah. I think, the Jack right, Rabbit so session. That, yeah. that, that couldn't be the last time. Wow. That couldn't be the last time. I know that I never really played a guitar for about five years until 2012. Okay. I think he died in 2015, something like that. Right. Well, I, I definitely think we deserve um, we deserve some uh, free oh, well, stuff music in out. the United States. Yeah, we deserve it. Yeah, we need to sort it out. Yeah, yeah, that would be that would be amazing. Well, I want to I want to thank you for your time, Frankie. I want to thank everyone who's listening to the podcast. We thank you for your support. Please continue to do so and tell your friends and all that stuff. Frankie, all the way from from the UK, thank you so much for for uh, taking the time to, to speak to us for a little bit, and and I hope to see you in the not-so-distant future. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. And I would I'd love to go to the States again. Yeah. You, can, you can wear that Steelers jersey when you come in. I'll wear the Steelers. It's, it's a little bit... 
I was a little bit ambitious. It's, it was very big then. It's a little bit now. still good. All good. Uh, thank you so much, Frankie. Have a good one. Be safe. Thank you very much. Thank you very much.